Good morning, everybody, and happy Monday. I hope everybody's excited to be back in Hangouts and Headlines, maybe more excited than they are about being here on Monday morning. It does seem like we just did a Friday episode, doesn't it? It always feels that way, but that might be because I streamed basically all weekend. I hope you caught us on the BitCast if you like video games or otherwise, and we've got other things coming up this week for you all, but welcome, everyone, and thank you for coming out to uh, have another Hangouts episode. I think we've got an interesting story for you today when we do eventually get to headlines. We often talk in virtual reality in this space about fan creations, right? So many of you are so, so creative about what you want to do to celebrate whatever you're a fan of, whether it's something like Bridgerton, a Netflix show, or a movie or a video game line. And uh, one of the very first things that we actually talked about in this space, or maybe not even in this space, but when the Easy Allies video game podcast asked me questions on legal issues was, what's the deal with fan stuff, right? What's the deal when I go to Comic-Con and I see artists signing pictures of Sonic the Hedgehog that they drew themselves? What's the deal with, uh, you know, uh, projects that are otherwise often reported on in gaming journalism outlets that are fan mods or other kind of things that celebrate uh, fan games or the original games. And w are those allowed? Are they legal? Uh, and we'll talk about that today because this is an interesting place where at least ostensibly most of the project we're going to talk about is marketing for Netflix, right? And we've talked about it in the context of video game streaming. We've talked about it in the context of um, uh, just celebrations in general, as I mentioned. Uh, but very often these companies are cool with that. Hey, all right, so technically you're infringing our copyrights, but if it brings more eyeballs to our show, if it puts more cheeks and seats at our events, whatever it is that you're talking about, generally speaking, copyright holders okay with it. And then at some point, they're not. And I've talked about it in this space because it's a sort of Damocles, right? For streamers that don't get the license that they need or others that are otherwise doing something that is helpful until it's not. Um, and so that's what we are going to see in this story is Netflix deciding that it is no longer helpful, despite the fact that they are often going out in public and basically saying, hey, yeah, infringe. We think it's all a celebration of what we do here, uh, not with respect to Bridgerton or Bridgerton the Musical, which we'll be talking about today. Uh, but very, very often you can remember that when there were articles about Squid Game and we covered them in this space, we did a Squid Game episode. There were references made by some higher ups at Netflix that said, oh, yeah, so there's a hundred versions of Squid Game on Roblox. There's uh, a million versions of Squid Game on TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. Mr. Beast put, puts together like I don't even know how much money it costs to build like his own version of a Squid Game video. And Netflix basically says, well, we're just a celebration of all that fandom until they're not. <laughs> Right. And so as a lawyer, when you all ask me these questions, one of the things I often wind up saying is something along the lines of, sure, sure, sure. Uh, you'd probably be OK from a real politics standpoint, the actual facts on the ground, et cetera, whoever's filling out bingo cards. Uh, and uh, that might be fine, except when they send you that cease and desist letter, probably your lawyer is going to tell you that you have to listen to it. Is not worth the fight. We can talk about fair use. We can talk about all these various other things, uh, but it's going to be fun. Let's do some questions. Let's do some hanging out. Let's talk about where we're calling in from. I love hanging out with you every morning, except Wednesday mornings. We just don't believe in Wednesdays at all. Uh, but certainly Mondays where we're getting back in the swing of things. We got the tea from co-counsel. Thank you so much. 
and we're getting excited for another fun week of work, right? Right, people? Absolutely. Uh, let's see here. What do we got? Cheeks and seats, lol. Yeah, that's how I usually refer to, uh, you know, putting putting people in front of a in front of a uh, dramatic work of some kind, whether it's a movie or a play or whatnot. Uh, what else do we have here? Morning all, says Randall. Morning, Randall. Good morning from Kansas. Hello, Kansas. How are you doing? Morning from Virginia with a waving emoji. Hi, Virginia. Uh, good morning. I'm usually in Oregon, but currently in D.C. for work. Excited to catch a live. Yeah, I'm too early for Oregon, I think, for the most part. Although we do occasionally get people call, calling in from the West Coast. Uh, but that's too early for me. Uh, what else do we have happening? Um, let's see. I know there was something up here. Happy lunchtime from the UK. I do love that it's lunchtime over there. It's like seeing into the future. Uh, I don't know what my lunchtime will be like, but I think I think it'll be wonderful today. Uh, it's quite cool here in Scotland, which I wasn't expecting due to how sticky last night felt. That's good. I hate stickiness. I hate I hate overheat. I don't get that a lot in Michigan. <laughs> We're a little bit northerly. Uh, Calista says, good morning, everyone. We're in Eorzea this morning. That's Final Fantasy XIV. For those of you that don't know, while I pretend it's not Monday, and I don't have to actually go to work. If I pretend hard enough, it comes true, right? Maybe. You never know. Uh, yeah, Mondays Mondays are fun. That's why we try to be positive and happy and light here uh, on the Monday uh, and on the Friday and, and maybe also on the Tuesday and Thursday. We're just not trying to bring dourness into your life in general. Uh, so hopefully everybody's enjoying that. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got uh, Brit in chat giving some stories to various people. We got a lot of fun this morning. Um, so I think everybody's just kind of ready to go. So maybe we'll just go straight into the headline and I won't get a comment that says something along the lines of headline starts 37 minutes in when I forget to put chapters in, but I appreciate it. Commenters. I will get chapters in, in the ones that I skipped. Uh, I just, uh, I forget to do it sometimes because I'm skipping off to the next thing, uh, after we finish these episodes, uh, and I don't always hit all the buttons um so morning from vancouver good morning vancouver good morning all which isn't a place but good morning all uh morning from sioux city everybody's saying good morning should have called this mornings and, and hangouts and headlines or something i just, it's good times uh it's good times well let's talk about this because we do actually have like a lawsuit and we have some fun stuff to to go over so if you have any comments or questions on this as we go through this is maybe a little bit more depthful uh, than some of the things we talk about here. Um, we do have somebody already knowing something about this, saying the whole lawsuit is a joke. I don't think the whole lawsuit is a joke, but we'll get to that without any concrete facts. And the part about the merch is a complete lie. This is interesting. All right, we've got drama. So we've got, we'll hang on to these concepts as we go through it. Um, but we will be talking about copyright and fun stuff there. Um, so... Let's see it. We got UK. We got Toronto. Fantastic. Secret Mix Squirrel says 260 watching. Good morning, everybody, on Monday. Yeah, leave a like if you would. That's always very helpful. I appreciate it, Secret Mix Squirrel. Let's talk about the articles. So deadline breaks a couple of days ago here, but it hit my timeline yesterday, which is why it popped up <laughs> for this video today. Uh, it says Netflix sues Bridgerton the musical creators for infringement seeks halt to live stagings. Um, so if you aren't familiar with this at all, and I certainly wasn't when I was informed of this story, um, I think it's worthwhile to get some of the background here from Deadline. The Grammy-winning team 
behind an unofficial Bridgerton musical is being sued by Netflix in Washington, D.C. U.S. District Court for infringement. Songwriting duo Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear were the minds behind the popular adaptation, you see that highlighted in red, we'll be back, of the hit television series. They staged a live concert of the unofficial Bridgerton musical album live in concert at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. earlier this week, selling out the venue. Netflix originally hailed the concept when it debuted as a free online homage, but when that expanded into a profitable business, things became sticky. Money always does, doesn't it, folks? Money makes things sticky. Netflix knows this. Netflix is not uh, is not unknown to the world of copyright infringement lawsuits on either side. Netflix, Netflix, that's a different kind of streaming channel, folks. It's early on the Monday morning. This is Netflix. Claims it made repeated objection to the stage show, which sold tickets ranging up to $149 each. VIP packages were even more expensive. The live show featured more than a dozen songs that allegedly copied verbatim dialogue, character traits, and expression, and other elements from Bridgerton, the series. Throughout the performance, Barlow and Bear misrepresented to the audience that they were using Netflix's Bridgerton trademark with permission, says the lawsuit. And the lawsuit also notes that in addition to the Grammy-winning album, the pair plans to tour with a date in London's Royal Albert Hall upcoming. There are also allegedly plans for a line of merchandise, the suit claims. Yes, they were going to say, that makes it a world tour in the lawsuit. It's very amusing. Uh, Barlow and Bear have not commented on the lawsuit yet. Their version of the musical was developed on social media in real time with lead vocals by Barlow and orchestration production and additional vocals by Bear. The record hit number one on iTunes US pop charts, streaming more than 45 million times. It won a Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album. Now, if you heard me talk about some of the kerfuffle uh, between uh, Disney and Sony with respect to Spider-Man, and I was talking through the summer when it looked like Spider-Man might not be in the MCU anymore. And I said, don't worry about this, people. One of the reasons I said don't worry about this was, in general, if there is a pile of money to be made, uh, businesses can work it out. Businesses can figure out what to do. Um, and when you've got a paragraph like this that says, it's number one on the pop charts, wins a Grammy, uh, there is money to be made there. There is popularity there. There is goodwill there. And generally speaking, what I would say is these kids will work it out. They will figure out how to split the pie, as it were, in order to make it make sense for both sides. And indeed, we saw that with respect to Sony and Disney. It's just too valuable to have Spider-Man in the MCU, and it's too valuable for Sony to have his independent movies. And we worked it out again, and now we have strange interdimensional Spider-Man movies that a lot of people liked more than I did, but hey, check out that postmortem. Um, so in this particular context, I would say this will be worked out. This is a lawsuit. This is a threat. This will get settled. We'll figure out a licensing regime. I don't know if that's in fact the case or not, because what you primarily got with the two folks that made this musical is that they appear to be operating in pretty independent entities. Um, when we look at the lawsuit, there is one party that is kind of unidentified Somebody is helping them put together these shows, uh, but you, generally speaking, don't have a middleman, right? Instead of Sony and Disney, you have Kevin Feige on the Disney side and, I don't know, Amy Pascal 
on the Sony side and they're independently and individually negotiating rather than the corporations. And when that happens, you can add a layer of emotionality. You maybe don't have that, well, if there's money to be made, we'll figure out what the number is so each of us make enough money kind of concept because people are people. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but one of the advantages, and some would say disadvantage, depending on the context, of the corporate form is uh, it's self-sustaining. It cares only about itself and its profits and its money. Uh, and so generally speaking, that group of people will find a way uh, to make the money when it's there and available for them. Uh, that does not appear to be the case necessarily here as of yet, but more on that when we get to the lawsuit. We got some statements here. Netflix, uh, which is, of course, the platform. Shonda Rhimes is the showrunner, so she headed the adaptation of what was a series of books, uh, and Julia Quinn is the author of those books. So we got plenty of things here, but you will see exactly like how the how the interests line up. So Netflix negotiates with Julia Quinn, or more likely uh, the, the label, the publisher of the book, uh, for copyright. Uh, and if you aren't familiar with this, we've covered copyright pretty extensively here on the channel. But in general, when you put pen to paper and there is a physical expression of whatever it is your concept is, you automatically have copyright. And then when you write a book, that's going to be registered copyright. And so when somebody wants to make a TV show out of it, like Netflix, He's going to put a bunch of money behind it. They go and they license it. They say, okay, this is yours. You get to control the exclusive distribution of your book and your, your concepts in that book. Um, and so we would like to make a TV show about it. And so here's what we're willing to pay you up front, at the back end, royalties on what we make. However, they calculated this in their contract. Julia Quinn and her publisher give the rights to make a TV show to Netflix. And so Netflix sits out here and is now defending its copyright, or more specifically, its license to a copyright, uh, and it's doing so pretty adamantly. Netflix supports fan-generated content. So you want to you want to frame the, the concept first if you're Netflix, right? Just so we're clear, we're not going to sue the living crap out of everybody that makes a Squid Game video. But Barlow and Bear have taken this many steps further, seeking to create multiple revenue streams for themselves without formal permission to utilize the Bridgerton IP. Does this word jump out at you? Formal is really interesting here, right? The lawyers don't want to have to say formal. This makes this a weaker sentence. So what communications did Netflix actually have with these people that require us to limit the concept of permission only to formal permission? Sounds like there was tacit permission at some point. And we'll see what these communications are in the lawsuit uh, that Netflix has written. So it's, of course, slanted in their direction. We've tried hard to work with Barlow and Bear. And they have refused to cooperate. The creators, cast, writers, and crew have poured their hearts and souls into Bridgerton. And we're taking action to protect their rights. Netflix, you're killing me. <laughs> so, okay. So there's a couple of things that jump out here. That formal permission thing that we already talked about. Uh, we've tried hard to work with Barlow and Bear and they've refused to cooperate. That sounds like at least as Netflix describes it here, that there were conversations, there were talks about potentially licensing all of this, right? And that's what you would expect in this context. You would expect for a copyright holder to see a pile of money, not to want to crush it, but instead to say, hey, we need our cut. We need our share. If this is us, if this is based on what we're doing, you need to make sure that we get a cut of all this. And maybe 
the other side refused, as Netflix is suggesting, or maybe they just couldn't come to terms on this kind of thing, right? So we don't know. This is all a statement from Netflix. This is all Netflix uh, trying to justify its lawsuit. So what we do know is they've said, hey, we tried to talk this out, right? They're, they're telling the public, they're telling the court. Again, their most important mission here based on these first two sentences is telling their fans not to be worried about getting sued in federal court for their fan works because that that's the concern. It's like that actually helps them. When people get super excited about Squid Game, that helps people find Squid Game. When people get super excited about Stranger Things or Bridgerton or whatever else Netflix has up there, then that helps people find those shows. Netflix wants to make sure they don't cut off the golden goose just because they think this has gone too far. Then, the reason I laughed at the end of the statement is they say the creators, cast, writers, and crew have poured their hearts in and we're taking action to protect their rights. Netflix, I understand you want to look good. But we don't we don't have to gild the lily here, right? You think this is affecting your bottom line. Uh, you believe you are damaged by this. That's how you bring a lawsuit. You don't have to say it's out of the goodness of your heart for the writer's room at Bridgerton or for whatever, whoever poured their hearts into Bridgerton. Because as far as the artists are concerned, and we'll get to Julia Quinn's statement in a little bit, it's hard to see exactly how a celebratory musical uh, is somehow damaging them. Protecting their rights, yeah, I don't buy it. Netflix, you're protecting your rights. That's totally fine. That's what the legal system is for. But you don't actually have to just frame it as something happening out of the goodness of your heart. Shonda Rhimes, who is the showrunner, one of the aforementioned cast writers and crew, says, there is so much joy in seeing audiences fall in love with Bridgerton and watching the creative ways they express their fandom. What started as a fun celebration by Barlow and Bear on social media has turned into the blatant taking of intellectual property solely for Barlow and Bear's financial benefit. This property was created by Julia Quinn and brought to life on screen through the hard work of countless individuals. Just as Barlow and Bear would not allow others to appropriate their IP for profit, Netflix cannot stand by and allow Barlow and Bear to do the same with Bridgerton. So note one of the framing devices that Ms. Rhymes uses here is she puts the final onus on Netflix. Shonda Rhimes, notably not Netflix, uh, is in a contract with Netflix, makes a lot of money from Netflix, so is self-interested in defending Netflix, doesn't talk about her so much as Netflix, right? That Julia Quinn wrote the book, okay, Netflix can defend itself, and then they're blatantly taking intellectual property for Barlow and Bear's financial benefit. Maybe. I, it's very unclear as to exactly how Shonda Rhimes feels about this, other than the fact that she's contractually obligated to say these things uh, on behalf of Netflix. And then you get to Julia Quinn, who actually wrote the book. Netflix wants to take credit for the adaptation into a TV show, and Netflix and Shonda Rhimes deserve credit. Adaptation is a real artistic work, as we know, because we're talking about a musical that's adapted from something else. Um, but Julia Quinn is the one that actually came up with the story. Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear are wildly talented, and I was flattered and delighted when they began composing Bridgerton songs and sharing them with other fans on TikTok. There's a difference, however, between composing on TikTok and recording and performing for commercial gain. I would hope that Barlow and Bear, who share my position as independent creative professionals, understand the need to protect other professionals' intellectual property 
including the characters and stories I created in the Bridgerton novels over 20 years ago, which of course adds to the questions of length of copyright, things along those lines. Uh, we will leave those to a different video. But Julia Quinn is the closest to the actual act of original creation here. And so I think you do have to give credit to her statement. And still, there's a certain amount of standoffishness, right? It's super cool. They made a musical out of my stuff. And and why, from Julia Quinn's perspective, does it matter so much as between making something on TikTok and doing it for commercial gain? It's unclear. Obviously, from a broad-based perspective, if you're the author and you have the copyright, the reason you get those copyrights is because you can control the distribution of these things and who creates derivative works, and you're losing money if someone does those things without you licensing them to them. Uh, that doesn't pop out of this statement. Instead, this again kind of sounds at least a little bit like Shonda's. Shonda's, if we were to rank these, Netflix the most self-interested. Shonda is on team Netflix here. She's making a lot of money from Netflix. And then Julia Quinn is also defending this. That's why Netflix put these statements out. But it kind of gets weaker and weaker as you go down this list. And you can understand why, because honestly, it's a fan celebration. And I don't know whether it makes sense for Julia Quinn to come out too terribly strongly here, but Netflix will definitely want the help because this is the copyright that they have purchased from Ms. Quinn and her publisher. Uh, and so they say, hey, look, you have to help us defend this because we're losing value. And maybe we'll sue you if you don't, you know, that kind of thing. Now, it is worth noting here, as Deadline does, that Netflix was entirely in favor of this when it started. Absolutely blown away by the Bridgerton musical playing out on TikTok. Standing ovation for Abigail Barlow and Nick Daly, um, who I, I don't know, but I think he, he sings some of this. Um, and so, yeah, you see uh, popular, not, not, not like a crazy popular tweet, but a popular tweet. Uh, for Netflix in January of 2021. And as I've said in this space, as I said at the top of this video, all of these things are always okay as long as you're helping market for the company. When they decide that you're competitive, when they decide that you've gone too far, that becomes a problem. And that's what we are seeing today. Now, I also highlighted this concept of adaptation in red potentially as a problem. I do want to talk about that just a little bit to start out with here because copyright doesn't protect every possible thing that you put into something like a novel or something like an adaptation of a novel in a TV series. Copyright Office describes it as follows, and this is pretty accurate. Copyright, a form of intellectual property law, protects original works, right? We think that, including literary, dramatic, musical, and artistic works, such as poetry, novels, movies, songs, computer software, and architecture. However, copyright does not protect facts, ideas, systems or methods of operation, although it may protect the way these things are expressed. So it does not protect ideas. It does not protect the concept of a Regency ball. It does not present, protect the concept of star-crossed lovers pretending to be married and then finding themselves actually in love. It does not protect the ideas behind a novel or otherwise, but it does protect the expression of those ideas. And I can only tell you, it gets real gray area from there, right? Because characters are copyright protected. But what makes a character are the traits that go into that characterization. So you've got these fights. And like I said earlier in the video, Netflix is well aware of this. They've been sued for using character traits from Sherlock Holmes that maybe weren't released from copyright. Uh, and that they've had these fights about what they're allowed to do in adaptation and things along those lines. Uh, and they will continue to. They're a main media company. They will get sued all over the place all the time. They will constantly provide 
content for virtual legality, and we love them for it. Uh, but it does not protect ideas. You saw this as well if you were following virtual legality when we talked about the Last of Us Part Two leaks that Sony was, let's call them aggressively pursuing online with DMCA takedowns. So DMCA is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And so you have to assert that there's a copyright infringement. And so when people were putting up pictures of golf clubs, for instance, uh, and hashtagging Last of Us in them, Sony was taking them down. And I was making videos saying that that is an absolutely absurd use of the DMCA because in Last of Us Part Two, someone gets killed with a golf club and that leaked out before the game was released. Uh, and so people were doing these kinds of things, leaking them, discussing them. And I talked about the fact that you are 100% allowed to talk about the plot of something, even if it leaked out, even if somebody didn't want you to know about it. You see this in spoiler casts, right? We just did a Stranger Things for postmortem, me and my daughter that you could see on the channel last week. And we talk about the plot of the show uh, and we analyze it. We do it through fair use and we do those kinds of things and we're very happy to do it, but we're allowed to talk about the plot of the show. That is copyrighted material as it was created. This came out of the minds of the Duffer brothers or whoever, but we are allowed to talk about it. Uh, we don't have to go and get license permission to say the word stranger things. Uh, or anything like that. Now, that would be a trademark, so we're not going to muddy the waters here uh, too much on that. But you are allowed to talk about things that occur in the world. <laughs> it's, you know, First Amendment uh, here in the United States and that kind of thing. So it's also why you can go into your local bookstore or your Barnes & Noble or whatever, and you can go into the TV section and you can find, I don't know, the unofficial guide to Breaking Bad. Um, and Breaking Bad is a copyrighted TV show, and somebody wrote a book about it, and goes through and analyzes each of the episodes and uh, looks for in plot inconsistencies or technical issues or goes and potentially gets interviews with actors or writers or whoever. And you put unofficial on the title and you start going from there. You're probably doing it with lawyers, by the way, so that you don't step on too many feet. Uh, but you can see that throughout. Uh, books are the most obvious. You got the unofficial guide to uh, Harry Potter um, and, and moving forward from there. And so you can go without permission and talk about the facts and ideas of something that's otherwise copyrighted. But when you start getting into adaptations, you potentially run into trouble, right? So here we have one of my favorite circulars from the copyright office. This one seems to come up every once in a while. Copyright circular 14. Woo, exciting. And it talks about what we call derivative works and derivative works and transformative works. And the lines here are again, gray, uh, but in general, we can identify these things. If you make a TV show out of a book, then that's an adaptation. Uh, and an adaptation of a dramatic work is generally going to be found to be derivative. Um, and so if you are copying the plot, if you are copying the characteristics, if you are copying the fundamentals of the expression of the idea. And here we have two levels, right? Because Netflix is bringing this lawsuit. So they're saying that this musical violates the expression of the idea as already adapted to a TV show. But depending on things, you could also potentially get sued or have trouble at the novel level, uh, depending on exactly what was taken from the novel. And we'll see what Netflix says here, but that's where we're running into trouble. Netflix says, this is an adaptation. This is a musical of a TV show. It is the kind of thing we would usually license uh, and we would ask for X amount of dollars or X amount of royalties. And chances are, at least as described by Netflix, Netflix has entertained that request, right? And it might've been too expensive 
for these individuals. And they, did, they didn't want to do it. And they got advice from their lawyers. And the lawyers said, well, they're unlikely to sue you in federal court over this uh, because it looks bad for them, potentially. Right. It's bad for goodwill. These are fans. They did this thing. Uh, but Netflix says, nope, we're going to sue and we're going to frame it as you guys are trying to steal from us. We were nice. And now you are going too far. And that's where we get to the lawsuit. So we're going to take a pause right there real quickly uh, before we dive into the lawsuit. Does anybody have any questions, any comments to what we have seen so far in the article, what I've talked about with respect to copyright uh, derivative works, put it at Hogue Law, leave it in a question, in a queue, you know, super chats, whatever. Anything to highlight it for me is very helpful uh, when there are a few of these going around. I did see some bots in the chat, tried to kill them a little bit by putting it in subscribers only mode. That's the only reason I ever do that, folks. Uh, but they do get around these bots uh, quite a lot right now. Um, Abigail says Netflix should be offering these people a contract and putting the music on the platform instead of suing them. Well, it takes two to tango with a contract. I, I don't know whether Netflix is legitimate saying they, they refuse to talk to them or not, but it is possible. It is possible for Netflix to say, uh, well, there's any number of variations of this, but Netflix to say, hey, here's a reasonable request for royalties and the creators of this to talk to their lawyers and say, nah, we can do this without them. Uh, and you can keep all that money. And they decide to go that direction. Or Netflix could say, here's a ridiculous request for royalties. Uh, and they can say, we, we couldn't afford that if we did it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's, there's any number of variations here. It does seem silly for them to go to lawsuit as a first step. So I do think that there were at least probably hand waves towards an agreement of some kind between these parties, because that just makes sense. But I don't know. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Um, maybe they had the same lawyers as Amber Heard's lawyers that told her that the article was fine. Well, a lawyer, especially an IP lawyer that's asked these questions is going to say some version of what I said, which is that, okay, this probably is infringing. Um, and we can only ever say probably because it's always based on the facts and circumstances, but it's probably infringing, but they're going to be disinclined to sue over this or otherwise cause trouble. One, because it markets for them. It tells people that Bridgerton is a thing and continues to drive people to find out what Bridgerton is. And two, because suing your most loyal fans who are doing like this stuff specifically about your show is not great. You don't generally want to do that until it crosses some line. For you. Uh, question, why would not a deceased and desist apply in such a case? So a cease and desist letter is not a court order, right? It's a letter that a law firm writes, generally a law firm. You can sometimes do it at principle to principle, but it's not as effective. Law firm writes, it says, you are in violation of the Copyright Act. You are doing this illegally. We'd hate to have to sue you. Stop right now. Um, and they say it probably even more angry, angrily than that. Um, but it's up to the other party to decide whether or not they're going to listen to that, whether or not they think they're just rattling the saber and they're going to go away. And a lot of people get cease and desist that the lawyer will say, I think it's unlikely that they go any further than this. They're just trying to, they're just trying to scare you. Um, and you can proceed, uh, further. And so in terms of applying a cease and desist letter doesn't do anything. It is the notification. It is the no trespassing sign being pounded into the sand. Uh, and it says you stop that right now or else we're going to look at our legal options and you get that cease and desist letter and you say, okay, all right, I'm not going to stop that because I think I'm in the right and I don't think you're going to sue. And sometimes you find yourself in federal court and sometimes you're okay. Um, so that's, that's why on that, but it's a great question. Um, I do have, 
uh, Evil Dead has a lot of copyright weirdness because of all the different movies. So that musical may have ended up in No Man's Land. Sure. You get all sorts of weird intellectual property situations with various IPs. Um, so that's uh, that's interesting. Now I understand why my brother's former lawyer, he doesn't want to have his novels turned into a movie. Oh, yeah. Well, it gets it gets it gets wild there. You can't have unofficial versions of things, but you have to get you have to get careful. Uh, Netflix would also have to negotiate with the agent because book publishing is a many headed beast. Oh, yeah, we're shortening it right to the author. But there's undoubtedly a publisher involved. There's various other parties involved. If they were to move forward, the principles, i.e. not the lawyers, would effectively say, yes, we are open to discussions uh, at around these numbers. And then everybody and his brother would get involved from there. Um, for me, so far, it sounds like what uh, Sapkowski, the writer of The Witcher, and I, I can never pronounce his first name uh, properly, so I apologize, tried against CDPR. Sounds like there was something that was talked about, but we don't know what. Well, he was actually successful. If I'm recalling this story correctly, we did a video on it here um, because there is, I want to say, a European Union rule that says essentially if the thing that you licensed out becomes wildly successful, you can take a retroactive look at whether or not the royalties were fair and whatnot, which is not how the United States works at all. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to figure that out up front. Um, but I believe he got like a settlement or an upgrade based on the fact that the Witcher video games proved to be so darn popular. Um, and then he might have done better in the negotiations with Netflix when the show was being done. Uh, Carrie says, yeah, I was just talking about this with creative friends recently and how it's important to be able to show your process and work and how you got there just in case. Yeah, to show that you're not basing something on something else. Very often that can be the case. Um, and it's a big, big problem for things like studios like Netflix because they get like unsolicited uh, suggestions. And if a suggestion lines up with something that they do, they can get into trouble. It's one of the reasons why you often hear stories of people, uh, agents or studios refusing to open mail uh, and things like that. They don't want any kind of thing that could wind up in court for for stealing of an idea. You can't steal ideas, but stealing expressions of ideas. Um, and certainly when studios have as much money as they do, uh, they're deep pockets. They're, they're, they're ripe targets uh, for somebody doing this. Um, Against the Tide, Hoag. So the author of Fifty Shades was fine. Fifty Shades, famously fan fiction based off of Twilight, because she switched the characters to actually human and changed the names, even though she admitted that her books are fanfics of Twilight. Yeah, I would say that at the time. So I think without these stories about this, and I, so I haven't read Fifty Shades of Grey. I apologize. Um, I have seen the trailer for the movie, I believe, in front of something that I watched at some point in time. But at best I can tell, uh, it is not closely aligned with at least what Twilight is marketed as. Uh, and so I think without some of these stories, you wouldn't know. So I think for something like that, you can say inspired by, like you've taken the concepts of relationships or whatever, uh, and you've plucked them out and you've put them in a different scenario, which is often what fan fiction is. Um, and you've used that as a baseline to make something. Um, so you make a Star Trek fanfic and you like the concept of a science officer and a medical officer and a gung-ho captain uh, and of course, that's based on Spock and McCoy and Kirk. And you go through and then you change the names and people respond a little bit differently. And that's an OK way to come up with a story. Uh, but you don't continue to call them Kirk and Spock and McCoy. Chances are, unless you can really go into parody or satire, because those characters are copyrighted. And honestly, you just don't want to raise that ire with Paramount or, or whoever. 
Um, so absolutely. Yeah. It, as you get further and further from these things and they're just inspired by that becomes less of a problem. One of the main claims we will see in this case that is an issue is Netflix says that they steal uh, language verbatim, uh, which would have had some kind of, you know, custom creative uh, input put into it. And that's that's where you really get into trouble. Um, see here, moving forward, Secret McSquirrel, someone stole my project in university, almost got in trouble, but I like to believe that people make mistakes. And once it is pointed out, people will credit you. Sure. You want to see you want to see attribution for the most part. Absolutely. Uh, you see people sometimes asking me to use clips of my videos. And in the comments, generally, I say, yeah, can we just have attribution? Uh, this whole thing reminds me of the whole Maverick Top Gun lawsuit. Are there any updates on that? Uh, I will look into it. I haven't heard anything in the news uh, and I'm not like monitoring these lawsuits. Um, so I will look into it. It's a good it's a good question. Probably not. Probably they're going to let the box office run finish off so that we at least know what pile of money we're dealing with. And Maverick will not stop making money. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, Tails says Netflix aren't bad guys for bringing this up, though. If they don't defend their works IP, even if incorrect at the end of the day, then what is the point of having the IP? Yeah, well, I think the point is that you always have the sword and the sword is useful. Um, one of the things I thought you were going to say in this comment, I'm glad you didn't, is the notion that copyright holders have to go protect their IP or else it's lost. That is not, in fact, the case at all. That's trademark. That is different from copyright. And in fact, Netflix will talk about that in this lawsuit. And I, I think I highlighted it as part of the section. Uh, B wants me to know that the Fifty Shades movies are terrible compared to the books. Fair enough. I have to be fully honest here. I am unlikely to watch either the movie or read the book. So... I apologize for that, uh, but I appreciate the heads up for anybody that might be interested. Um, Randall says, I think they might sue for all the headlines. So publicly it works both ways. Yes, as long as you think that this is good, right? Um, so yeah, Netflix could have be, been considering this action and said, we want to put heads on spikes outside the front gates and we want people to know that this is a possibility. Uh, or... The other way of looking at this is that Netflix looks like a big bully, potentially. Uh, and so Netflix is owning the messaging right now. They're trying to establish that they are the thieves and we are defending our home. But it's not that hard to envision a Netflix that's okay with marketing as long as you stay poor. Uh, and that's how I'd probably frame it if I were on the other side. Um, what makes this interesting to me is that these are industry professionals doing this and not normal fans. I don't understand what made them think they wouldn't get sued. We'll talk a little bit about the communications that they engaged in, but sometimes you walk up to the line and even over the line and think you're not really going to pull that trigger, are you, big guy? Uh, and sometimes they do. So let's take a look at this lawsuit. So here you can see it's brought in the United States District Court for the District of Columbia. <clears throat> And I don't think we're actually going to go over the jurisdiction, but it's a it's a federal case. It's about copyright. Defendants Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear, and we can see here in the defendants list, <clears throat> Abigail Barlow is doing business as Abigail Barlow Publishing. So this doesn't appear to be an entity. Uh, this framework here is a person that is using a business name. Uh, so that's an alter ego, but it's still just an individual. It's a sole proprietorship, we call it. it offers you no legal protection at all. Emily Bear is doing business as Jordan King Music USA. This is at least as presented here. So those aren't entities. Those are the people. Pink and Purple Lady Inc. and Barlow and Bear LLC. 
are entities, but I'm willing to bet Barlow and Bear LLC is primarily those two individuals. It's unclear what Pink and Purple Lady Inc. is. Um, and maybe somebody that's more familiar with these folks can, can let me know. Um, but for the most part, this is what I was talking about up top. This reads as a more potentially emotional concept, even if they're professionals in their industry. That's not, I'm not taking away from their professionalism. I'm saying that there aren't other people, there aren't middlemen, there aren't managers and things telling them necessarily what to do and what not to do when we talk about what happened here. Defendants Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear and their companies have taken valuable intellectual property from the Netflix original series Bridgerton to build an international brand for themselves. Bridgerton reflects the creative work and hard-earned success of hundreds of artists and Netflix employees. Netflix owns the exclusive right to create Bridgerton songs, musicals, or any other derivative works based on Bridgerton. Now, if I were Netflix, I would be doing a better job of separating out the Bridgerton books and the Bridgerton TV show, because that's what Netflix has a right in, the TV show, and not the books in terms of exclusivity. That doesn't take away from Netflix's ability to bring a complaint here, but it does make things a little confusing to talk about. Barlow and Bear cannot take that right, made valuable by others' hard work for themselves without permission, yet that is exactly what they have done. On July 26, 2022, over Netflix's repeated objections, we'll get more on that in a bit, Barlow and Bear staged a massive for-profit stage show entitled The Unofficial Bridgerton Musical Album Live in Concert to a sold-out audience at the Kennedy Center with tickets ranging up to $149 each and VIP packages. The live show featured over a dozen songs that copied verbatim dialogue, character traits and expression, and other elements from Bridgerton the series. So you can see this is kind of a descending list. Verbatim dialogue, that's the worst. You show a lot of that, you've got an actual copyright infringement claim. Character traits and expression could be bad, also might not be, right? He's an ass isn't really protectable. Uh, so you have to kind of get into more specifics there. Other elements, who knows what that means, right? It included dramatic portrayals of Bridgerton characters by Broadway actors, emoting through the performance of the songs that comprise the quote-unquote musical. Is it it's not a musical? I don't, I don't know. Throughout the performance, Barlow and Bear misrepresented to the audience that they were using Netflix's Bridgerton trademark with permission. This is actually while Netflix vigorously objected. So this is actually really interesting. So they bring up this ad here. The unofficial Bridgerton, there's your registered trademark, musical live in concert, Barlow and Bear performing songs from their Grammy-winning album with the National Symphony Orchestra and special guests. So this is not a small thing. And then they say Bridgerton is a trademark of Netflix used with permission. This event is not endorsed or sponsored by Netflix or its partners. So this doesn't imply licensing. Uh, they say they misrepresented that it was used by, with permission, but things are going to get a little bit weird in the communications here, as we will see. Um, so used with permission, we've seen this before in other contexts when we look at movies and things. Um, is just generally saying, we're not licensing this to you. You can't use it for anything other than this, uh, but you can put this name down. And again, if this weren't uh, as verbatim as Netflix has accused here, there's nothing wrong with using the word Bridgerton. You'll note in this video, we use the word Bridgerton in the title to indicate what it is we are talking about. It becomes very difficult to communicate in the English language if you're not allowed to say words to describe what it is that you are otherwise commenting on. It's why the NFL, for instance, 
and their cease and desist letters on the use of the word Super Bowl uh, become uh, controversial, let's say. But you see the unofficial here. They, they've been pretty open and obvious with the fact that it's not otherwise authorized. They got unofficial in the title. It says the event is not endorsed or, sp or sponsored by Netflix. Um, so at least on its face, you kind of have a feeling for what's happening here and uh, not the world's strongest argument from Netflix. Barlow and Bear also announced they intend to stage yet another performance of their unauthorized derivative works at the Royal Albert Hall in London, making this a world tour, which is maybe rhetorically effective, but doesn't mean anything legally, so I just find it funny. Barlow and Bear even promoted their own line of Bridgerton-themed merchandise. And that's what we saw in the comment before we even dived into the lawsuit here that said that that was wrong. We will see for ourselves. Barlow and Bear's conduct began on social media, but stretches fan fiction well past its breaking point. It is blatant infringement of intellectual property rights. The copyright and trademark laws do not allow Barlow and Bear to appropriate others' creative works and goodwill to benefit themselves. Netflix therefore files this action to protect its rights. Wait a minute, hold on. Netflix is filing in this action to protect its rights? Wait, I thought Netflix was filing this action to protect the rights and love of the game of the creators, cast, writers, and crew. We're taking action to protect their rights, they said. Huh. I'm being overly sarcastic here. This is what you have to say in a legal document. You can't just bring a lawsuit on behalf of another party. So this is what it has to say, but this is also the truth. Um, so their statements ran a little foul. Netflix owns the registered copyrights and trademarks in the wildly popular Bridgerton series. Now, I highlight that because very often this becomes a lot of puffery in these sections. Bridgerton actually is wildly popular. I think it's one of their most successful series. The series was created and produced by Shonda Rhimes' pioneering storytelling company, Shondaland. I don't know if it's pioneering or not. And is based on Julia Quinn's best-selling romance novels of the same name. Season one of Bridgerton is set in Grosvenor Square, London, 1813. The audience follows the young women and men of the prominent Bridgerton family as they navigate the high society marriage market. All the while, Lady Whistledown, the mysterious gossip writer, comments on the spectacle, reveals secrets, and encourages speculation on who will and will not find a match. Fans find escape in the romantic Regency setting, era-appropriate dialogue, and exquisite costumes. Yet, Bridgerton speaks to a modern audience through its inclusive cast, orchestral versions of modern pop music, and they use a footnote here to reference Ariana Grande, and a female perspective on the character's struggle against rigid societal norms and rules. Now, I, I don't know, especially that last one, if that's specifically modern. I seem to recall having read a lot of Jane Austen in school uh, from that perspective, but that's cool. Bridgerton, very popular show. A lot of people like it. I've watched season one, have not watched season two. It is fine. <laughs> that's 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 the whole law review of Bridgerton. It is a-okay. Uh, but a lot of people really like it. And I read that paragraph because I'm just always amused in legal documents when uh, like pop culture companies like Netflix have to describe why this sh should matter to anybody. Uh, and so you get this summary of uh, Bridgerton. And there's actually a bunch of spoiler paragraphs that we're going to skip uh, on Bridgerton here later in the document. But I, I do find that amusing. Bridgerton was a hit. By January 2021, Bridgerton had been watched by 82 million households around the world. And... To respond to the demand for all things Bridgerton, Netflix created a live in-person event titled The Queen's Ball, a Bridgerton experience. Now, this is going to come up again because this seems to be why Netflix is actually upset about this concert existing. And so I had to look this thing up. If, if you look at this, this is the Bridgerton experience website. It appears to be like an interactive prom with Cirque du Soleil in attendance. 
I, I'm, I'm unclear on this. If you are in chat and you have been to one of these things, let us know. Uh, but one of the issues that I have with this lawsuit, and it's not really an issue on the copyright law side of things, is that Netflix appears to be bugged by the concept here, primarily because they want people to go to their Bridgerton experience. All right. And they've licensed this out, et cetera, et cetera. And they say it's competing with that. And people would have gone to the Bridgerton experience if they uh, didn't have this musical to go to, which at least as it's described, has only been ever shown once uh, and will be shown once more in London. And there isn't like a description of anything more broadly than that. But this isn't a musical. This isn't a Broadway show. Right. As, as Time Out here describes it, you will engage with actors dressed in Regency garb. Believe me, I probably wouldn't be engaging. Watch dance and acrobatic performances and dance yourself, accompanied by a live string quartet. As you can imagine from the experience in the title, that, that's that's pretty different from going and seeing a show. Uh, and so, yeah. So they reference it here because they're going to reference it again. It has drawn crowds in six cities, is offering Bridgerton-themed merchandise through the Netflix online store and retail outlets, and has released the Bridgerton soundtrack on streaming platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music. Netflix Worldwide Entertainment, as the copyright owner of Bridgerton, again, talking about the show here, just to confuse things, has the exclusive right to authorize derivative works based on the series. They are not wrong. And as the registered trademark owner of the Bridgerton mark, Netflix Studios alone has the right to promote the Bridgerton brand. Yep. After Bridgerton was first released in December 2020, Barlow and Bear, along with countless other fans inspired by the series, started posting about the series to TikTok, including creating musical compositions based on character scenes, dialogue, and plot points from the series. When asked directly, Netflix told Barlow and Bear time and time again that such works were not authorized. That's fine. That is very distinct from cease and desist. We are not authorizing this work is effectively how unofficial works get done. Barlow and Bear chose to move forward with that knowledge and release an album recording, which they titled the unofficial Bridgerton musical. At each step of the way, Barlow and Bear's representatives repeatedly assured Netflix that they understood Netflix's position, it's not authorized, and led Netflix to believe that Netflix would be consulted before Barlow and Bear took steps beyond streaming their album online in audio-only format. So again, formal permission, right? Reading between the lines, remembering that this is a document written by Netflix to make Netflix look as strong as possible in the arguments that they are making here, this sure sounds like Netflix basically said this was okay until it got to this point in time, right? Which isn't good for Netflix's case because the lines get so blurry, they can defend themselves with Netflix didn't stop this. Netflix said it wasn't authorized. We never claimed that it was. We put the disclaimer in our ads. You saw that earlier. Uh, we're not claiming that Netflix gave us permission to do this. But when you start talking about they believed we would be consulted if we went beyond audio only, that sounds to me like Netflix said, yes, you can release it audio only. Not authorized, but permitted. Hmm. Used with permission? Don't know. Barlow and Bear's representations were false. Despite their assurances to the contrary, Barlow and Bear are now claiming carte blanche authorization to profit from Netflix's protected intellectual property in whatever way they see fit. <sighs> Very huffy with that one. Uh, we talk a little bit about the parties. Again, we just have references uh, to the, the places where these people are. Uh, court has jurisdiction because this is a copyright action, so we can bring it in DC. And then we talk a bunch about Bridgerton's plot points, 
I'm, I'm going to spare you those. It's very popular. We talked about that in the introduction. And then Netflix expands the Bridgerton brand. Netflix has also expanded Bridgerton beyond the series. In March 2022, Netflix launched the Queen's Ball, a Bridgerton experience, notably well after January 2021 in the TikTok tweet, right? This immersive ticketed experience allows fans to enjoy a beautiful ballroom decorated in the Regency era style. Interact with actors dressed in exquisite period costumes and listen to live music inspired by the iconic Bridgerton soundtrack. The Bridgerton experience also provides guests with the opportunity to purchase exclusive merchandise from the event. Sounds wild. Uh, sounds definitely not like a Broadway musical. Netflix is offering the Bridgerton experience in six cities, including in Washington, D.C., around the time of the infringing Kennedy Center performance. What do you mean by around the time, Netflix? You're killing me with these things. We know the date this performance happened. When was yours? <laughs> Netflix offers general admission tickets for $45 and VIP tickets for $85, as well as the opportunity for private parties. Netflix has plans to expand these offerings to new cities in the U.S. and abroad. Netflix markets the Bridgerton experience using the Bridgerton marks, including through online and billboard advertising. Section three, the defendants make unauthorized derivative works that copy from Bridgerton. Barlow and Bear began posting songs based on season one of Bridgerton on TikTok in early 2021. They were not the only fans celebrating Bridgerton. At the time, countless other fans were creating and posting Bridgerton-inspired works, dressing in costume, acting out scenes, and performing dances inspired by the hit series. Barlow's initial TikTok post was no different. She started with the question, okay, but what if Bridgerton was a musical? Over time, Barlow and Bear posted a series of videos to TikTok about their passion for Bridgerton and expressed that passion through their musical version of the series. Barlow and Bear have repeatedly admitted that they intentionally based every single song on the creative elements of the series. Now, creative elements, ideas, expression, we're going to get real fuzzy now. Barlow has repeatedly said that she based the songs on dialogue from Bridgerton. Not great. For instance, Barlow said she wanted to turn Bridgerton into a musical. The opening scene is so theatrical. I could just see each part of the stage lighting up in my brain. And then I keep writing down lines of dialogue that sounded like song titles. So you got dialogue verbatim, potentially a problem. Potentially not, depending on how small like the samples are. Likewise, Barlow explained, there are just so many pieces of dialogue in the show that write songs themselves. That's not the quote you want for this lawsuit either. I just kept picking all of these little moments that are so iconically written in the show. Like this, this Netflix... I wouldn't put this as B, probably. This is probably A. There are so many pieces of dialogue that write songs themselves, questions the actual creative edition, and then I just kept picking all these little moments that are so iconically written, again, provides all the value in what you did. It's a good quote for you, Netflix. In particular, Barlow has credited the Bridgerton line, you have no idea what it's like to be in a room with someone you can't live without and feel like they're oceans away from you, as inspiration. Now, that's good, Inspiration actually doesn't matter. You can be inspired by anything you want. Copyright doesn't protect you from that. So if you just said, hey, I'm inspired by this line and then you made something completely different but with the concept of trying to get to this idea that's represented by this line, totally okay, right? They have no copyright protection in the notion of a relationship where the two people are together but not really and like the feeling of that. They have copyright protection in this expression of it. These words in this order leading you to this notion. Barlow and Bear created the musical by watching certain scenes from Bridgerton on repeat. For instance, Bear explained that when we were writing the opening number, we watched that opening scene so many times because it's theatrical. 
Again, not terribly strong Netflix. They're inspired by the thing. Barlow and Bear's YouTube channel describes the unofficial Bridgerton musical as a full concept album inspired by the hit Netflix show Bridgerton. Concept albums are a thing for a lot of bands. I'm not a big music guy when it comes to uh, albums and bands and things like that, but there are a number that I listen to that are uh, concept albums, right? I, there's one that I listen to that is a concept album that takes the notion of the Goonies movie from the 80s and presents a number of songs that I, I would describe it as loosely uh, follows the plot of Goonies. That loosely is important though, right? Because you're using references and thoughts and concepts and ideas rather than, you know, taking Mikey's It's Our Time Down Here speech and putting it in song form. That is going to be different and that would probably get I don't even know who makes Goonies, Amblin Entertainment. I have, I have no idea. Uh, a little bit upset uh, as part of that issue. So inspiration, you're allowed to be inspired by these things. It's the it's the direct verbiage and potentially putting them in the same order as the exact concepts that are present uh, in the TV series that present an issue. As I've already mentioned, there is the confounding factor of it being based on a book and whether or not Netflix has the license that they say they do here. We're not actually getting a lot of contract terminology in this document. It's raw assertion which maybe isn't as strong as we would like, probably okay at the complaint stage, but we proceed. Review of the infringing works also demonstrates Barlow and Bear copied liberally and nearly identically from Bridgerton across a number of original elements of expression. So this, concept-wise, is their lawyers, Netflix, trying to say, Your Honor, what we're talking about right here are not the ideas. This is actually how we express them that they got into. Lyrics are lifted verbatim. That's an issue. Plot, pace, sequence of events, mood, setting, and themes are replicated faithfully. Does this thing fly too close to the sun? That it is so close and any of the creative choices that would have been made in the adaptation are mirrored in the musical that you can say basically that as a whole, the entirety of the pie is shaped and tastes very much like the pie that we made and we expended a lot of money to make it that way. Uh, is what they're saying here. Again, kind of raw assertion here. Uh, and they, they put some exhibits that we're not going to be looking at in this video because we don't have eight hours to be here together this morning. <laughs> uh, but uh, they put some examples in. I scanned them. It does appear like there's some from verbatim lifting. They will reference a couple of these. Netflix sets forth below some representative examples. First, in the very first musical track, Tis the Season, Barlow and Bear copy Bridgerton episode one's opening scenes, making a near-identical introduction of its main characters, and the 1813 Grosvenor Square setting, while also incorporating substantial dialogue verbatim. For instance, both works include the following dialogue regarding the setting and plot, spoken by Lady Whistledown. Grosvenor Square, 1813, dearest reader, the time has come to place our bets for the upcoming social season. Consider the household of the Baron Featherington. Uh, and yeah, that if if it's exactly what was in the show, this is not the way you would generally recommend doing it. Um, and I think those are some of the best arguments that Netflix makes is when they find these exact copies. Uh, and they go down this list. Uh, Eloise Bridgerton's character and the theme of social constraints on women is copied. And again, lifts dialogue verbatim. Okay, so Netflix gets weaker with this stuff, right? The dialogue verbatim, pretty good. Eloise Bridgerton's character might be pretty good, but you would want to know more about this. The theme of societal constraints on women, no, Netflix. You don't have a copyright in that, okay? Lots of books written on that. It's a good theme to explore. Uh, and so the fact that Bridgerton explores it, that doesn't give you copyright protection there. That is an idea, the theme of societal constraints on women. Um, so Netflix overstates their hand in a couple of places here, I would say. 
And the similarity is not just in the dialogue. They point out a couple of lines that are the same. They're adapted, but yeah, they're mostly the same. Uh, the musical appropriates the essential character of Eloise Bridgerton, enumerating all the ways she could pursue her passions and education if she were a man and freedom she perceives men have, just as Eloise does in the series. Now, the fact that you didn't actually itemize this gives me pause. It's possible that it could be identical in terms of a character trait, but it's unclear from this description, and it's harder than the verbatim stuff. Uh, they go on from here. They talk about Oceans Away. Defendants do not have a license to exploit Bridgerton's intellectual property. We, we know this. Uh, Barlow and Bear have admitted this publicly. They don't own the IP. Yet, in attempting to defend their client's blatant infringement, Barlow and Bear's attorneys have now taken the position that they somehow do not need a license because Netflix did not file this lawsuit sooner. Now, this is Netflix describing some kind of communication between these parties. Uh, and it seems to be that they are intimating that Barlow and Bear's attorneys have given the internet version of if you didn't sue on it, it's okay. Um, I don't know. I don't think attorneys would do that. That's what Netflix is intimating. That's what they answer in the next sentence. That is not how copyright law works. Netflix is not required to sue every infringer. Rather, it can make its rights known, which it unambiguously and repeatedly did here. So Netflix doesn't have to sue every infringer is absolutely 100% true. And this is that sort of Damocles concept, right? This is what I tell folks that ask me this question about streaming, that talk to me about fan creations in general. Because that guy wasn't sued doesn't mean you won't be. Uh, they do not have an obligation to go and police their copyright. They can decide, yeah, that guy's infringing, but we like him. You're infringing and we don't like you. Welcome to federal court. Like that's the nature of copyright. That is distinct from trademark, where if you don't police trademark enough, you can have things like dilution and you can lose it. You see these ads for um, not generifying names like Kleenex and Xerox, because if you do make them too generic, they lose their trademark protection. Uh, and that's the issue there. Oh, I got a post-it note. This is exciting this morning. I do know that. I do know that. Thank you. Yep. Appreciate it. Um, it is no secret that in early 2021, Netflix did not stop what Barlow and Bear represented as their personal TikTok fan tribute to Bridgerton. Numerous individuals involved in the creation of Bridgerton, including actors, producers, and Netflix, applauded Barlow and Bear, including with the tweet, absolutely blown away by the Bridgerton musical playing out on TikTok. That was this tweet that we looked at over here, right? So Netflix absolutely did that. It was useful to them. It was marketing. They went viral. In March 2021, Barlow and Bear's counsel asked expressly for Netflix's blessing of a recorded album and a single specific UK charity promotion to occur in or around July or August of 2021, for which they would engage West End performers who had been furloughed because of the pandemic. Netflix responded in June that it was not approving or authorizing the album's release or any charity performances, but in the spirit of supporting what Barlow and Bear represented as two Bridgerton fans' expressions of their appreciation for the series, it sta stated that it was not standing in the way. All right, folks. Is that permission? I think it sounds a lot like it. So when they say used with permission, it sounds a lot like it. If this were the actual concert that we're talking about. Now, we're not talking about the specific concert, but you can see that Netflix muddied the waters here. Again, this is enormously useful to Netflix uh, to have marketing like this, to have somebody out there um, saying Bridgerton is cool and it's so cool 
that we are making a musical out of it because we love it that much. And you will love it too. And you should check out Netflix soon. You subscribe. This is useful to Netflix. And so Netflix says in a communication, we're not approving or authorizing. That is totally normal legal language. We are not putting our stamp on this thing. We are not licensing it to you. You can't say this is official. You can't put our brand name on it, but we're not going to stop you is the way this kind of thing gets done. So Netflix kind of covering its, its eyes with its hands or covering its ears or whatever and saying they knew they weren't authorized. It's a little bit of BS here, right? Like if you were the lawyers to these particular artists, you would say, yes, this is, they, they said it was okay. They're not going to stop us from doing these things. We're not going to wind up in, oh, I don't know, federal court. In August of 2021, after learning that Barlow and Bear were due to release an album to Spotify the following month, Netflix sought to advise them of a clear line. Netflix representatives stressed to Barlow and Bear's representative that Netflix would not authorize and did not want them to engage in any live performances or other derivative works that might compete with Netflix's owned planned live events, that is, the Bridgerton experience. At the time, Barlow and Bear's representative stated no such events or other works based on the unofficial Bridgerton musical were planned. August of 2021, we know that there's a concert that happens uh, in the summer of 2022. I don't know how long planning takes for one of these things, but I'm certainly willing to buy uh, that they didn't have any plans as of August of 2021. In November of 2021, Barlow and Bear's representative informed Netflix that their canceled UK charity performance had been rescheduled for later that month and that proceeds from the event would be donated to a local foundation. Barlow and Bear's representative stated that they planned to do this live concert focused on Barlow and Bear's broader repertoire, i.e. not as the unofficial Bridgerton musical, and that it would include only a few of their songs. Netflix again reiterated that live performances of the unofficial Bridgerton musical were not authorized and that the UK event should be only a one-time occurrence. Barlow and Bear's representative confirmed that they fully understood. They also promised that they did not have any additional plans for more Bridgerton-inspired works or live shows that would include songs from the unofficial Bridgerton musical. Given Netflix's clear statement to Barlow and Bear that this would be the last such event, so given a statement that you didn't actually state earlier on, fair enough, Netflix, Barlow and Bear's assurances that it would be, and their express statement that they plan to focus on other projects to avoid becoming known as the Bridgerton Girls, Netflix did not seek to halt the rescheduled charity event in the UK. Enter 2022. In March of 2022, following Barlow and Bear's Grammy nomination, Netflix reached out again to reiterate the lines. This is slipping away from Netflix. You can feel that here, right? Once the Grammys pick it up, they're like, oh God, what are we going to do about this? Barlow and Bear's representative assured Netflix that they did not have any Bridgerton-related plans other than the Grammy nomination. That's the same with me, actually, really. I don't make plans until after my Grammy nomination. And any follow-up interviews, if they were to win, Barlow and Bear's representative reiterated that Netflix should not worry because Barlow and Bear did not want to be known only for their work derivative of Bridgerton, so they would be focusing on other activities in the future. So this is March 2022. Probably a summer concert is coming together sooner or later here. In addition to their assurances to Netflix, Barlow and Bear's own conduct confirms that they knew they needed Netflix's permission for live performances of the unofficial Bridgerton musical and that Netflix never gave them that permission. That it does not do. So here Netflix is reaching for that line. They know that this would be really useful if they had an email or something from the representative from Barlow and Bear that said, we understand that we can't do this without your say so. 
that doesn't exist, at least as far as Netflix has described, it would be odd for it to exist because as a lawyer or as a business person, you're never going to give up that gray area, which says, I think it's a derivative work. It strikes me as a derivative work. If you're copying actual language from the dialogue of the show, you've got problems, but it might be an unofficial fan creation kind of thing. So you would never put in an email or a text message or whatever that you know that you can't do this thing because honest to God, you don't, right? You think probably you can't do this thing, but you don't know what you don't know. And we're talking about a judge years in the future or months in the future in this particular case, deciding on where the lines of that are in particular. So you wouldn't generally tell them, I know I need your permission because you don't know that. Barlow and Bear kept coming back to Netflix with updates on the UK charity event and went out of their way to make clear that they did not have any other performances planned. Netflix relied on those representations in deciding not to pursue any additional enforcement activity. So here they say they can't claim that we acted too slowly on this. You can't give us unclean hands or something like that or uh, promissory estoppel saying that we allowed you to do these things and now you're burdened by them and you can't sue me now because you were the ones that were monitoring this and trying to make us happy to appease us when what's actually described in these paragraphs sounds like Netflix keeps checking up on them. Right. So it's, it's a little bit weird. <laughs> uh, Cause you do have these lines where like Netflix is like, we find out about this and then we contact them. Right. In August, after learning that they're putting something on spot, uh, Spotify, Netflix, Netflix sought to advise them. Sounds a lot like Netflix reached out. And yet by the time you get to the last paragraph, they say, well, they knew they couldn't do this. They kept contacting us. They kept updating us. It's like, I, I don't know. Your story's getting a little sloppy here, Netflix. I don't know. Maybe that's the same with Bridgerton season two. I don't know. I haven't watched it. Uh, section five, defendants infringing Kennedy Center performance. Despite their prior assurances on June 7th, Barlow and Bear's representative informed Netflix for the first time that they'd be doing this concert. Netflix then sought to understand from Barlow and Bear's representative what type of performance was planned how it would be marketed and whether it would be for charity. Rather than engaging with Netflix on its questions, Barlow and Bear's representative stated that they were not asking for Netflix's permission. Here they go. And would not further delay the announcement of the performance to afford the parties time to discuss. They publicly announced the Kennedy Center show within days. So it's possible it came together in a very short period of time. Multiple times in June and July, 2022, Netflix informed counsel for Barlow and Bear that the July 26th performance and any subsequent live performances were not authorized. Again, that's okay. And that such exploitation would constitute willful copyright and trademark infringement. You want to look out for this one. That's where the big penalties come in under the statute. Unless they negotiated a license, which Netflix was willing to do. Now, that was implied in their statements in deadline, right? And as I said before in this video, we would assume it to be true. We would assume that Netflix would be willing to sign a license because Netflix is a business and they win a Grammy and it's on the top of iTunes. And this is the kind of thing that businesses say, hey, there's money to be made there. We should go get that money. <laughs> so I have no doubt really that Netflix is willing to negotiate a license. What I do have a doubt about is what terms were offered. Netflix offered Barlow and Bear a license that would allow them to proceed with their scheduled live performances at the Kennedy Center and Royal Albert Hall, continue distributing their album and perform their Bridgerton inspired songs live as part of larger programs going forward. Now, this is interesting right here, right? This suggests to me that as part of the license offer negotiation, they threatened to cut off the album, right? We know the album is out there. We know the album won a Grammy. They say, okay, we'll enter into a license with you so that you can perform at the Kennedy Center and Albert Hall and whatever. And it'll also include some kind of royalties or payments for that album we've been letting you get away with. 
right? So at this point, this is probably a poison pill. Again, we're reading between the lines. We're speculating we're not in this room. So take it with a grain of salt as you do all of other things in virtual reality that we don't have proof on. But this sounds to me like Netflix said, all right, you guys are killing us. Uh, so we'll negotiate a license. We're adding that album to it, even though you've been otherwise selling that album uh, for the uh, recent past. Barlow and Bear then doubled down on their infringement and resulting harm to Netflix. Netflix found out from the press that the performance would include Broadway actors. Barlow and Bear announced via TikTok that their Kennedy Center performance would include some brand new songs, one that you've never heard before, and some, you know, little tasteful extensions to some of the existing Bridgerton songs. Barlow and Bear also teasingly hinted, you guys have been asking us to turn Fool for You into a full song since the very beginning, and we may or may not have done that. There may or may not be an overture. Uh-oh. The online marketing for the event changed multiple times during this dispute, evidencing Barlow and Bear's realization that they had no rights to exploit Netflix's trademarks. At some point after June 21st, 2022, and after Netflix told Barlow and Bear that they were not authorized, they added a reference to Netflix Studios' ownership of the registered trademark. So what they put at the top of this lawsuit, <clears throat> Netflix says here was only added kind of late in the day. Later, they took that down at Netflix's request. Then as of July 20th, after Netflix had sent a settlement demand, they changed it to say the mark was being used with permission of Netflix when the parties had not reached an agreement and Netflix continued to object. So yeah, I do think Netflix has a point that by the time you're getting settlement demands and Netflix is objecting that strongly, used with permission is uh, dicey. Uh, but to the extent that you're performing a live version of an album that is clearly out there and clearly won a Grammy and Netflix didn't object to, the album might still be used with permission it gets real strange. Uh, the Kennedy Center performance went forward over Netflix's objections on July 26th in front of a sold-out audience with seats available for $29 to $149 per ticket in an 1,100-seat venue and the option to purchase a VIP package. So even though it's a sellout, even though this is popular as a one-time show, you know this isn't anybody getting buy an island money uh, from any of this. Barlow and Bear performed 14 of the 15 songs from the unofficial Bridgerton musical album, including a new full-length version of the song Fool for You. The performance also included a new song entitled Secret Secrets is like marketing for this thing, which Barlow and Bear described as having a theme that is constant throughout the entirety of Bridgerton's world and its characters, which is secrets. So again, not a great quote for purposes of this lawsuit, but in terms of the law, I, I I'd need more to tie the concept of secrets to copyright protectable uh, information in the Bridgerton brand. The event also involved 16 special guests, including Tony Award winner Kelly O'Hara, Tony Award nominee Ephraim Sykes, and Tony Award nominee Danny Benton. Doesn't this sound like a marketing package? Who performed dramatized versions of the songs in the roles of various Bridgerton characters. For example, special guest uh, Michaela Diamond imitated Eloise Bridgerton's signature mannerisms and demeanor while performing the song If I Were a Man in the character of Eloise. Before each song, Barlow and Bear discussed the song's origins, regularly invoking the Bridgerton plot themes and storylines on which each song was based. I don't think Netflix doesn't have a case here. Uh, so, yeah. The Kennedy Center performance materials, including the performance program book, posters displayed at the venue, and the onstage performance backdrop were all prominently branded with the Bridgerton mark. Really? You put Bridgerton on everything? Okay. All of the materials also wrongly assured audience members that the mark was being used with permission, even though Netflix had made clear to Barlow and Bear that they had no such permission. Barlow and Bear further sold merchandise featuring the Bridgerton marks, both at the Kennedy Center and prior to that performance online, including clothing, songbooks, and vinyl albums promoting the unofficial Bridgerton musical, complete with a keychain of a vinyl record bearing the words Bridgerton musical. 
I have no idea whether or not this is in fact the case. I know uh, an earlier commenter suggested that it wasn't. Maybe one of you were at this thing. Uh, let me know. Uh, but they say that they were selling merchandise. Barlow and Bear's Kennedy Center performance interfered with Netflix's long-announced offering of the Bridgerton experience in Washington, D.C. It attracted Bridgerton fans who would have otherwise attended the Bridgerton experience. I'm not seeing this, Netflix. And created confusion as to whether Netflix had approved of Barlow and Bear's unauthorized derivative works. There's a pretty large unofficial in there. Barlow and Bear benefited from the confusion and false association with the Bridgerton brand. Now, that's a trademark argument. Barlow and Bear lacked any license, approval, or authorization to exploit Bridgerton intellectual property in connection with the Kennedy Center performance. And to the extent Barlow and Bear ever claimed to believe they had such license, approval, or authorization, despite Netflix's clear statement to the contrary, it has now been unequivocally revoked. Just so we're clear, Your Honor, when we filed the federal lawsuit, uh, we took away any implicit or tacit permission or licensing. I just want to be very clear here, says Mr. Netflix. It is now revoked, which also suggests... Uh, that they think they might have given permission, right? The extent ever claimed to believe they had such license, it has now been unequivocally revoked. Okay, you've put claim to believe here, but if you feel like this sentence is necessary, Netflix, I think you might have permitted them to do this, at least early on. Uh, Barlow and Bear's decision to usurp the Bridgerton series and brand for itself threatens Netflix. No. And everyone engaged in the Bridgerton franchise with irreparable harm. Okay. Beyond their Kennedy Center performance, Barlow and Bear have also announced a September performance of all your favorite tunes from the unofficial Bridgerton musical alongside the BBC Orchestra at Royal Albert Hall, with an exclamation point. They posted the announcement to their official Facebook page nearly a month after Netflix had made clear that Barlow and Bear did not have permission to exploit the work of everyone involved in creating the Bridgerton series. The current marketing for the show features the word Mark Bridgerton in large font. Well, it's the same font, but yes, it's pretty large. The show, which Royal Albert Hall has said will involve a host of special guests, threatens Netflix's plans for the Bridgerton experience in the United Kingdom. So their main through line here for damages, which are very difficult to prove, which is why they really are, should be arguing statutory infringement, because you can just say that the damages are whatever the statute provides. Uh, but they are saying that they're damaged here because the Bridgerton experience is negatively affected. I don't see it. I don't see it. In fact, if they were operating on the same weekend, I would see them as complimentary and probably both getting tickets for people that are that interested in Bridgerton as a concept. Uh, so that is not a strong argument from Netflix. Barlow and Bear have also stated that they are planning further live performances of the unofficial Bridgerton musical. Indeed, the description of the newly released songbook states that Barlow and Bear are performing at concerts and music events around the world. Now, they are using that to suggest that this is going to get bigger. If you do two, I think you can actually say this in your marketing materials and their marketing materials. Barlow and Bear's actions have undermined and will continue to undermine the rights holder's ability to offer legitimate authorized derivative works of Bridgerton. That's the legal intellectual concept. That's true. Including live stage productions such as musical theater performances and the ongoing Bridgerton experience offered by Netflix in Washington, D.C. and other cities. Their use of the musical against our wishes prevents us from making a musical because ours will be worse. We can't do better. Either way, if you have a copyright license or if you're the copyright owner originally, uh, you do have the rights under the Copyright Act to prevent others from making derivative works. You don't actually have to prove those kinds of things, but it does come off as a little defensive because, again, I really do think this only markets the existence of Bridgerton on the Netflix uh, platform. Barlow and Bear's actions will also lead to irreparable consumer confusion about whether their performances and merchandise are in fact authorized by the rights holders. Although Barlow and Bear have titled the derivative works unofficial and disclosed that Bridgerton is a registered trademark of Netflix Studios, Barlow and Bear also falsely represented that they had Netflix's permission, which they did not. Such statements cause and certainly do not negate consumer confusion. 
In addition to harming Netflix and everyone involved in creating the series, Barlow and Bear's infringing use of Netflix copyrights and trademarks may also encourage other third parties to develop derivative works based on Bridgerton without Netflix's authorization. And, and the law kind of cares about this, but not as presented here. Yes, as, as the notion of copyright exists, <clears throat> it's fair for a copyright owner or a licensor in the case of Netflix to go out there and say, we don't want other people to do this, so we have to bring the hammer right now, and we're asking the court's help on that. What are the counts? They're what we would expect. Copyright infringement, uh, and I think that they just asked for declaratory relief there. Infringement of registered trademarks, and they ask for uh, relief there. False designation of origin, which is a offshoot of the trademark complaint, uh, and then give us everything that we're owed under the statutes uh, for those things. So they've got an infringement case. They have a pretty good one uh, based on what is described. It's not a slam dunk and they overreach in certain places, but specifically on the verbiage, specifically if the songs are presented in a way where you do have actors portraying the characters as shown in the Netflix TV series, yeah, it's not great. Uh, and if you're going through in the plot line and everything else and it's, it's identical, I think you're going to run into trouble. I think in all likelihood, this is going to get settled. Uh, I think for the most part, the artists here were trying to call Netflix's bluff. They get a cease and desist. They say, hey, we're going to sue you. They say, Netflix isn't really going to sue us. Lo and behold, we are sued. And now we kind of back down and say, okay, what is the number that could make you happy? What's the number that can walk away on this? Uh, but yeah, this is the notion of fan creations in all respects. Totally fine if you're on TikTok and you're selling Netflix shows for them. When you go and do something that they view as competitive, which is BS. Like this thing, the Bridgerton experience, it does not appear to be the same thing anyway. And if these guys weren't dumb, either way, Netflix or the creatives here, they would negotiate to work together on this. This can absolutely 100% make each other money uh, in this context. I would expect it to do so. This is Netflix saying, no, no, we'll fire that cannon. Uh, and now I think the parties come to the table more fulsomely for your bingo cards. Um, so that's the story today. I do think it's fascinating. I did want to bring it up because I think it's a really interesting thing to talk about. Uh, I know we have a couple of super chats here, but what are your thoughts? Leave some comments here. Let's ask some questions. Let's talk about this while we cover some super chats. I think this kind of thing is really interesting because ordinarily we don't see companies go forward with these kinds of lawsuits because you could see Netflix fighting it throughout that legal document. They don't want to be seen as the party that sues their fans. Brett Cormier, to Fifty Shades, I went to see it with the woman I was dating at the time. We came away with different perspectives. I had to point out to her that if he was a thousandaire, he would have been a creep and not sexy. LOL. Again, I only know the basics of this particular plot line. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't. I, I think that different people are always going to have different perspectives on that kind of thing. Monday morning, folks. Thank you for the super chat, Brad. I appreciate the support. Uh, Kareen Hogue, the Bridgerton is not original from Netflix. It's an adaptation of a book or series of books. Absolutely. I said that they screwed up, in my opinion, by not delineating the two in, early on in the complaint document. So if they got permission from the original author, would that still immunize them? Yeah. So we're let, so we don't get the contracts in this lawsuit, but we're led to believe, and this is probably right, that what was licensed out from the author publisher, wherever the rights live on that book, what was licensed out was the exclusive right to make a TV show, right? And as part of the exclusive right to make a TV show, it sounds like Netflix got a provision in there, and this would be normal as well, to say, we also get to make any derivatives from that TV show. 
So notably, one of the things that's happening in this lawsuit document is that Netflix isn't accusing them of stealing the copyright of the book. They are accusing them of stealing the copyright of the TV show. So you have a book at the bottom. You have an adaptation that is licensed. It's official. It's properly licensed. They're paying money to the author, the publisher, whoever has those rights. And then they get in that contract the right to control derivatives, such as the Bridgerton experience. And they instead are dealing with these two people that made what is apparently a wildly successful musical. Uh, and they are upset because any money that they make on those concerts, which are one-offs right now, which is kind of why it's a little weird to bring the lawsuit right this second, that they are these one-off concerts and they're making money from it and Netflix doesn't love that. Now, I assume that when they put their album up on Spotify and they put it up on iTunes and things like that, they made money from that process. They're a Grammy award-winning duo here. Um, and so Netflix could kind of eat that, I suppose, because that isn't the audiovisual dramatic medium that Netflix could say, well, we're not making soundtracks for the most part, even though they sell a Bridgerton soundtrack. Uh, and so they could live with it. The problem that they got themselves into by all looks of things here is that by trying to be fan friendly, if we give Netflix the benefit of the doubt, these particular fans, which also happen to be professional musicians, went too far, took advantage of their goodwill and are now doing things that Netflix doesn't want them to do and saying, hey, you permitted this. I can see a version of the world that is like that, where Netflix clearly has an institutional uh, tilt towards allowing people to infringe on their copyright. We saw it with Squid Game. We see it with Bridgerton. We see it with Stranger Things. But if you are professionals, if you're wildly successful, then Netflix suddenly has a problem. It's okay if you're not that successful. If you're only a little bit successful, great. Uh, but if you win Grammys, um, things get a little bit what, what, what a deadline call it? Sticky. Um, so I think that does happen here. But yeah, it's a great question because there are two levels of intellectual property rights here. Netflix is accusing them of infringing on the TV show's copyright uh, that they have the exclusive rights to. Brett, I don't think Netflix doesn't have a case here. <laughs> is lawyers speak that all of our English teachers warned us about? LOL. Yeah, I, I sometimes like the double negative for emphasis or to be coy. Um, and yeah, I think Netflix, especially when you're trotting out actors dressed as, or acting like the characters in your show, um, I think they probably have a case. Uh, they do have a case. Let's just, let's just leave it at that. Netflix has a case here. I think that it's not a perfect case. It does appear that Netflix early on gave some tacit permissions that they tried to pull back on. Um, and at the end of the day, this will get settled. It sure, it sure seems like there's money to be made here. Um, so, you know, expect the press release in however many weeks it says, we're happy to announce that we have come to an agreement and Netflix is now officially sponsoring the unofficial musical uh, and we're going on tour. Uh, and that's what I would expect because whenever there's money to be made, uh, things can get settled pretty quickly. Uh, and there's definitely money to be made here by the sounds of things. Um, so we shall see. Uh, what else do we got here? Uh, before we get away, we go on to uh, Monday. Uh, Michael J.M. says, I'm just blown away that it got this far. Yeah, you would ordinarily expect this to be happening behind closed doors. But one or the other side, when, when do lawsuits happen? It's when one side or the other uh, has the wrong understanding of the other party's psychology uh, on this, uh, that both sides think they're in the right or both sides think that uh, nothing is going to happen, that we can do this bad thing, potentially bad thing, allegedly bad thing. Uh, and the other side doesn't actually have enough incentive to go pay lawyers and sue over it. We'll see.
we'll see where it goes. I would still expect it to get settled. Absolutely. Um, uh, it appears to me that they're doing that because they don't want to shut it down completely. They just want their cut of the dollars. Uh, yeah, they haven't sought an injunction, even though they talked about being irreparably harmed. Uh, so that's that's interesting. They they want to get this settled quickly, I think. Uh, I can't imagine Netflix was thrilled about them winning a Grammy. I doubt they thought it would get to that point. I, I, that's what jumps out at me, right? I hadn't heard of this. I'm, I'm not watching the Grammys. I, you know, I apologize. I know you all expect me to know everything about everything, but I, uh, I didn't know anything about this story. And uh, it's like, they won a Grammy? <laughs> Uh, and so that, uh, I think probably did get Netflix's ire up a little bit at that point. They probably can't stop it because it's like, wow, this is award-winning music. You can't, you can't really get in the way and block it. So they used the live performance to try to negotiate for the album. Um, and I think that's what's hidden in that document. Uh, so I, I, I suspect that's a bigger part of the story than others are saying, uh, Melissa says they're doing better than us. Sue Netflix. That's how I see it. Shrug emoji. Yeah. You could definitely frame it that way, which is like, how are we ever going to match that in musical form? God. Um, and yeah, they, they can, they can go, they can go and get it. They, they can settle this up. They, they will settle this up. I'm pretty confident in that. Uh, it really sounds like Netflix shot themselves in the foot by holding out a license for the album. It slipped in there. Uh, in that, uh, in that sentence. So it sure seems like the album had permission because you do have those phone calls where they say nothing north of uh, audio only. It's like, uh, sounds like you said fine to that. Uh, you just weren't expecting it to get this far. Um, Celia's Art says cease and desist letters are being sent out all the time to fandom creators that make money with someone else's IP, even on a much smaller scale. Yep. You can hear me in videos say, Something along the lines of, you know, this is probably infringing uh, in whatever instance. I don't give legal advice to individuals here. It's probably infringing. Fan artists need to know that. But at the end of the day, they're unlikely to cause you to stop. But if you get popular enough, then you'll probably be listening to that cease and desist letter. So it's it's kind of a pendulum about what you want to do, what your, your goals are for making fan-created materials, etc. cetera. Uh, Netflix might be upset that they didn't make a deal, which would have maybe given Netflix permission to put the show on Netflix. And then they would have had their own Hamilton. Uh, yeah, it's possible Netflix wants to film that thing. Uh, and there's one laugh to get to Albert Hall. Um, don't know. That's a good, that's a good comment. Uh, if it is that popular, they could have, they could have monetized it. That's a, that's a tricky one to figure out in terms of license. How does that money work? Apple pie, Hogue picking the relevant messages from within the tabletop discussion. Huh? Yes. Well, what can I do? <laughs> I'm pulling, I'm pulling out what I can pull out from chats. Uh, Alex finally caught one live. Thank you, Alex. Awesome to have you here. Um, and then other people conversing amongst themselves. So it's 9 a.m. in the Eastern time zone in the United States here. Uh, I'm glad we got to do that. That was fun to go through a full legal document. Um, I think probably we've talked about it happening once a week. Tomorrow, we're probably going to do a little bit of coverage on the un, uh, unredacted, released depth v. heard materials, not specifically those materials where a lot of my colleagues are covering them in depth, going through those documents, but instead on the summary of such materials put forth um, by, I think it's the Daily Beast that a lot of people flagged for me last night, uh, that gets some things wrong, redacts some things. We're going to take a look at that probably. I'm going to look at that myself, see if it's a good fit for tomorrow's Hangouts and Headlines, uh, and we'll probably do that tomorrow, but we will see. 
Otherwise, thank you so much. 600 of you for hanging out with me this morning. Really appreciate it. Thank you for everybody supporting the channel, Super Chats, everywhere else that you support, commenting, engagement, just in general. I really appreciate it. Hope this was informative, fun, educational, Monday morning, positive. Good luck to you all on your Mondays. Good luck to you all on the rest of your week. And I will see you on the next episode here in Virtual Legality, whatever form that might take. Have a good one, everybody.